Good morning. Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bibles and open it to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, we're going to be looking at chapter 3 together, chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. If this is your first time looking at a Bible, you take the pew Bible in the chair in front of you. Uh, it's on page 1044, going into page 1045. The, when I say Colossians 3, verses 5 through 17, the 3 is the chapter number, that's the big number. And I say 5 through 17, those are the small numbers, if this is your first time tracking through a Bible with us. Paul now finally gets to the, the specifics of what it means to continue in Christ. He's been doing a lot of general theological truths, union with Christ, setting your mind on things above don't get swayed by other philosophies. And now he gets extremely specific and practical. Hear God's word. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us in all wisdom. Father, we ask now that you would take this word from this passage, or this passage here, Lord, and drive it deep into our hearts. We pray that you would weaken the power of sin. Lord, you break the power of canceled sin. You set the prisoners free. So, Lord, with the different temptations and sins in our lives of this gathering, unique to us and even to us corporately, break them, weaken them. We ask, God, that you would give us strength and life in your word. Lord Jesus, speak powerfully to us and cause your word to dwell richly in us as you've written the law already on our hearts. May your peace reign through your word and by your spirit's power now. Lord, teach us to walk carefully and practically and specifically in Christ for the full and fulfilled life. In Jesus' name, amen.
One of the most memorable commercials I saw this year, I think it was a Super Bowl commercial, was a, was a, a, a commercial about a character named Larry who was living throughout human history. And someone came to him and showed him the wheel that he invented. And he said, look, a wheel. And he's like, what's that? He's like, it's a wheel, it, it rolls. And he says, a, a bagel rolls and you can eat it. Can you eat that? No, that's terrible. And he's like, get that away from here. You know, and so the guy rolls back his wheel. And then a few generations later, a few centuries later, there's a guy who creates a fork and he says, a fork. And Larry's in a different place and he's like, I got 10 forks right here, baby. You know, and everyone starts laughing and he just says, get out of here with your dumb fork, you know. And then another man comes to him in a different place and now I think he's in, in England now in uh, a place, a palace. And, um, and then uh, he's a king. And then someone invents the toilet and shows him the toilet. Like, look, a toilet. And he looks and he's like, you're supposed to sit on this and do that indoors? He's like, that's, he's like, we're not like animals, we go outdoors, you know, and everyone starts cheering and then, you know, get that toilet out of here. Um, and then from there, someone creates a light bulb. He says, what a waste of time. When they say, we're going to put a man on the moon, he says, that's too far. It's really, really far. It's just so far. That, that can't happen. Um, and then there's portable music on headphones. And he says, it's going to need batteries. It will never work. You know, and then it closes with the final thing, which is an app on a phone where someone says, hey, look, you can get cryptocurrency through this app and it's safe. And he's all, that's a terrible idea. And I'm never wrong, you know. And, that, and then it, the, the commercial closes there. He's shown all these great ideas, all these big things that change the world and change lives, and he doesn't see the value of it. And at the end it says, don't miss out. Don't miss out. What do you think you're missing out on in your life? What are you missing out on? If you're not a Christian, I'll answer the, ask the question, what is the full and fulfilled life for you? If you're a Christian, you know that Jesus has to be part of the answer, right? So let's put Jesus in the answer and say, what does living a fulfilled and full Christian life with Christ look like for you? What does that look like practically and daily? For some of the Colossians, as they were wrestling through this question, they were saying the full life is to hold on to Jesus and let's hold on to some Old Testament, Old Covenant rules. Keeping the Sabbath, keeping the festivals, eating certain foods, staying away from certain foods and drinks. And if you do that plus Jesus, then you really live the full, empowered, joyful Christian life. Or some would say, you know what? No, we need to deprive ourselves of certain privileges and do ascetic practices. And not only that, we need to connect with people who have connections to angels and can get visions of angels and get to the heavenly temple so that we can really be in the presence of God. So let's go through those people who have secret access to these visions of God, and that's the way. So you have Jesus and the gospel, plus this visionary access, and these extreme practices of devotion and self-denial, and that is a full Christian life. Today, the full life for the world might mean all the sexual pleasure one desires without hindrance or criticism, or being, being able to say and do whatever you want with no restraints. For Christians today, what does the full life look like? We're not really tempted, at least in this church, among these members with visionary access to the heavenly temple. But today might mean I can have Jesus and still have my sexual fantasies fulfilled. Or I can have Jesus and still be able to say what I want, when I want, to whom I want. Or I can still have Jesus and do what I want, or buy what I want, or live how I want to live, or look how I want to look, or influence who I want to influence, 
or be admired by the people I want to be admired by in the way I want to be admired by them. We all want a full and a fulfilled life. We all want a fulfilled life. Nobody wants to live an empty life. And we've been med meditating on that in the book of Colossians. And Paul has shown us that if you are in Christ, you have been filled and fulfilled in him. Colossians chapter 2.10. 2, All the fullness of deity dwells in Christ bodily, and he fills you. What more fullness can you have but God himself filling you in himself? And so we talked about setting your mindset and your pursuit on heavenly things. But what does that look like practically? What does that look like practically and specifically? Is it really a full life? Well, Paul gets into specifics here. So here's the main goal of this passage. Live in constant gratitude through Christ Jesus so that you continue to walk, to him, walk with him to the end. Okay, live in constant gratitude through Christ Jesus, gratitude through Christ Jesus, so that you continue to walk in him to the end. I say continue to walk in him to the end. That's the main goal of the whole book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So how do we do walking with him all the way? He holds us fast to the end, but how do I hold fast to Christ and persevere to the end? I'm going to live in constant gratitude through Jesus Christ. And when I say live, I mean this. Live, you could put a little arrow here for taking notes, live in specific word and action. In specific words and action in constant gratitude through Jesus Christ. Live in Christ, live in constant gratitude in specific words and actions through Christ. Now, I say live in gratitude, and that's the answer. We could, we could close in prayer now. Live in gratitude through Christ Jesus, that's the main thing. But if we just went straight to verse 17 and said that, uh, we would gut the power of this passage. There are some steps to get there so that when you live this life of gratitude, you actually live it and sense and enjoy the fullness that you already have in Christ, okay? So we gotta start in verse five. You can't just go straight to verse 17. So starting in verse five, we start with kill, anti. so let me give you four action words. Kill, change, let, and thank. Kill, change, let and thank. Kill anti-God, hostile action. Don't worry about writing that now. I mean, all the full sentence, I'll get there. Kill anti-God, hostility. Change your divisive habits for unifying habits. Let Christ work in all of you. And thank God through Christ always. Kill, change, let, and thank. All right, let's go to the first one. Kill. What are we supposed to kill? Look at verse five. Therefore, put to death what? Kill what? What belongs, the things that belong to your earthly nature. So kill things. So point one is kill things of your earthly nature. Kill the things of your earthly nature. That's the call in verse five, right? Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Now what belongs to your earthly nature? Why have I been praying about and talking about sexuality? Is it just because I want to talk about it? It's this text, right? Verse 5 says, sexual immorality. And all of this list are just different sexual, sexually deviant sins, okay? Sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? That's all sexual distortions and perversions and activity and thinking and enjoyment and fantasizing that's outside of the marriage bed between one man and one woman in a covenant commitment, so kill sexual morality. Pornea is the word. Sexual morality. All, and then impurity. Things that are not pure and holy according to God. Lust. Kill every lust. And lust here has the idea of intensity of passion. Kill this intense, the intensity of your passion for sexual morality. And then it says evil desire. Just desiring the wrong things. Kill your desires for wrong things. 
And then greed. Now, when you think greed, you might think money, and that might be what's going on here. I think it is still within the theme and the realm of sexual morality, so I'm going to teach it that way. When it says greed here, what it's talking about is an insatiable, you could even um, translate it coveting or covetousness, you know, get away of coveting. In other words, desiring things that are not yours, or you could say it's an insatiable desire that keeps wanting more. The thing about being greedy with money is you never have enough money. The thing, about, the thing about being overcome with sexual greed, sexually immoral greed, is that you can never have enough sexually immoral experiences to feel satisfied. And this desire for more and more and more and more and never being satisfied until you get more and more, that's a good thing when it's God. And when it's not God, we call that, what Paul calls that here is what? In verse 5. It's idolatry. You are made to have more and more and more and more. A, a, an infinite replenishing fountain of life. Jesus said, he who comes to me will never hunger. Because not because you'll never eat. He won't take away your hunger. He'll just keep feeding you. And you'll have more and more forever. Richard Chin writes about Rosaria Butterfield. And he says this. Rosar and Rosaria Butterfield was a, she was converted from the LGBTQ community. Um, she was a teacher and she taught that stuff and she was reading the Bible for two years. She, she converted and a lot of people come to her now with their um, struggles with their sexuality, sexually immoral struggles. And here's what he says about her. Rosario Butterfield says she has met countless people for whom every relationship has been marred by sexual sin. This includes wives whose husbands are addicted to pornography. Husbands whose wives left them for their lesbian lovers, teenagers sending and receiving explicit text messages, best friends who frequent cyber sex sites together, cousins in sexual relationships, homeschooled children who found violent pornography on their mother's mobile phones, and much more besides. Sexual immorality and deviancy is everywhere. Everywhere. I'm looking right at your face everywhere. I'm looking at each of you everywhere. Because it's here. And it's there. And it's there. It's coming up out. Now, some from this would argue that one should abstain from all sexual activity. Let's just get rid of sex then. Let's get rid of sexual activity, intercourse, and pleasure. Should we? No. Not necessarily. Why not? Because God commanded us to be fruitful multiply and fill the earth. And you need to have sexual intercourse to do that. Also, because God made marriage and he invites and encourages those who are burning in desire, he said it is very better for those who are burning, it is better for them to marry than to burn with passion. And because forbidding marriage and sexual pleasure in marriage is useless. Remember Colossians 2.23? When you have these extra rules, it is useless in curbing the indulgence of the flesh. Extra rules don't do it. Christless, Christ-marginalizing rules and judgments don't do it. So why should we kill these sexually immoral impulses? Look at verses 6 and 7. Here's the reason why. Because, why should I kill these? Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. So why should you give up these things? Why should you kill them? Because they cause and call for God's righteous wrath. God made sexual union for his glory to be displayed in marriage. And we take this desire, we take this joy, and we take this pleasure, and we corrupt it in ways that violate him. It's like Jesus, imagine Jesus here on earth, giving you a field for you to plow, 
giving you a shovel, and then you take the shovel and you uh, immediately attack him. And you try to kill him with that shovel he just gave you. You take his blessing and his gift and you use it as a weapon against him. That's what we've done with sexual desires and activity. We take a good gift and we use it against him. But look at verse 7. You no longer live in these things. You once walked in these things when you were living in them. You once, lived in, you once walked in them because you lived in them, but you don't live in them anymore. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 talks about how we used to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. In Colossians 1, verse 21, he says, Once you were alienated and hostile as expressed in your evil actions. You were alienated from God and you were hostile to God as expressed in your evil actions. And sexually immoral actions are certainly a subset of those evil actions. If you're not a Christian, I don't want you to miss verse 6. It says, because of these things, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. God's wrath is coming upon sinners. It's not just for sexual sin, it's for all disobedience. Okay? It's, not, um, it's for disobedience in speech, as we're going to read in verse 8. And in, in a big category, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, it's for disobe- disobeying the gospel. God's wrath is coming because people have disobeyed the gospel of submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God's wrath is coming on sinners. If you're not a Christian and you forget everything else that's said here this morning, please remember this. God made you and he loves you. He is your creator, but he is also your judge. And because you have rebelled against God and I have rebelled against God and we've been hostile in God and taken his gifts and used it as weapons to attack him and do our own agenda, to live our own way in our own kingdom, We have declared war on God, and that is a war we will never win. And God is just and righteous, and he will punish sin. We are now enslaved to sin, and we are doomed to be damned in hell forever for our sins. Yes, you, and yes, me. We are condemned to go to hell forever for our sins. But the good news is that God's not only judge, he's also Jesus, the Son, And Jesus came into the world. God the Father sent the Son into the world to live the life we should have lived, to die on the cross for your sins, and to rise from the dead, defeating Satan, sin, and death. So that he's not only the judge, he is the Savior. He's not only Jesus, he's Jesus the Savior and Lord and King. He's the treasure. If you turn from your sin and turn from treasuring other things and treasure Christ as your treasure, as your Lord, as your Savior, you call on Jesus to save you, then he will forgive you of your sins and give you life everlasting with him. And this thing will be a slavery and bondage of the past, not the present. So God is offering you freedom today. He's offering you forgiveness today. He's offering you life today. If you will turn from your sins and call on Jesus to save you, you can do that even now. If you have more questions, you can ask me or any of these members about it later, any of the church members here. All right, let's apply this to Christians then. We as Christians usually don't plunge into sins of sexual deviancy. We drift into them. We don't just jump into um, adultery. We don't just jump into these deep sexual moralities. We drift there. A compromise here, a good excuse for going a little farther there, an innocent browsing of a web page here, a movie scene or a podcast or a romantic and explicit story, going into then a novel, then pornography. And the coveting and greedy desire is never satisfied, but always wanting more immorality, bigger immorality, and on and on. Give the devil an inch, and he'll take a mile. Negotiate with sin, and you will always lose that negotiation. Always. 
So what should we do? Let me just give you, I can't do the whole message here. We've got to get the rest of the text. But let me just give you some quick things on killing sexual sin in your life. Um, and if you want the notes, I can send them to you later. I'm going to go fast here. Cut off your hands and gouge out your eyes, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Romans 13, 14 says, make no provision for the flesh. So cut off provision and opportunities in your life. John 3, 19 through 21 says, come to the light. Stop hiding in darkness. Come to God and the people of God. Come to the light. Don't let it continue to isolate you and hide in shame and secrecy. Romans 2, 4 says, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So keep God's kindness in your mind. God is not going to cause you to repent by frowning on you and threatening you, though those threats are real. He's inviting you in his kindness. He loves you. He will forgive you in Christ. Not might forgive you, he will forgive you. If that's what's holding you back, come to Christ. Remember, it's the kindness of God that leads you to repent. Next, I'd say connect with fellow pursuers. 2 Timothy 2.22 is one of uh, my favorite verses in college. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So don't fight alone. Connect with fellow pursuers. Confess your sins to one another in that connection. James 5.16. And the normal and ultimate context for you to pursue uh, purity with others is your local church. It's the members of your local church. Why? Because they're local. They're around and they see you regularly. One of the people that I'm counseling is reading through a book and they were sharing with me an insight of um, how some people think, oh, I got accountability for my old church. And then it was like three churches ago that they were there. And now they, oh, they moved out of state. Oh, wait, they live in another country now. And we, yeah, we, we keep in touch every other month or so. And oh, we comment on Facebook. And yeah, that's my accountability. And they're so far away and you're trying to pursue purity in the light with someone who's not even around. Why do we have local churches? Because we're local. And why do we meet every week? So that there's a regularity. You can build on holiness. You can build on killing sin. If you would just open up to those around you. You're not meant to fight this battle alone. And I, I feel burdened for so many of you. I feel some, are, some people are unnecessarily isolated and alone in their battle. And I say unnecessarily isolated. So, and then another thing you could do is pursue marital intimacy and purity. And Continue doing well. Don't give up. Don't get tired of doing good. You will reap. You might have, you're going to be fighting for a long time till you die, but don't give up. You will grow in grace. God's word says, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Grace will get stronger in your life, and sin does go through seasons of weakness and weakerness, if I could make up a word. So keep going. Don't stop. Keep the long view in mind. If you're not a Christian, God offers you freedom from being enslaved to insatiable sexual, sexually immoral desires. And he gives you a community to walk with you through it if you would have our help. Children, learn about the goodness of sex in God's design from your parents and from public Bible studies and teachings with church members. Also, kids, know this. You can confess your sins to your parents and get help from them or your pastors. No one told me this when I was a senior in high school and struggling with these types of things. No one told me, you can talk to me. And unnecessarily walking isolated for at least two years with no one telling me, you can talk to me. You can talk to your parents. You can ask for help. And I'm telling you, you can ask for help. 
All right, so what's the main goal? Live in word and action in constant gratitude through Christ Jesus by killing your anti-God hostile action. Secondly, change your old clothes for new clothes. Change your old clothes for new clothes. What do I mean by that? Look at verses 8 through, look at verse 8. Colossians 3 verse 8 says, um, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. So put away all these things. That's take off these things. And then verse 12 says, um, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes. Change your old clothes for new ones. So first, let's take off divisive old habits. In verse 8, it's take off anger. That's a rea- when you get violent. And these are all interpersonal things, and these are speech sins. The other things were sex sins. These are now speech sins, and these happen in inter- interaction with other people. So take off anger. When people violate you, don't react immediately and uh, impulsively when you're violated, out of the fact that you're violated first. Keep God's violation first and foremost in your mind. That'll help you from sinfully being angry, though you can righteously be angry if you keep God-centered in your anger. That's tough, but you can do it, and you're commanded to do it in Ephesians 4. So take off anger, also take off wrath. That's not just anger and a, a quick reaction, but even the vengeful attacking and getting revenge for what they've done against you. Take off malice. That's general evil and ill will. Take off slander, saying hurtful and false things about someone. Take off filthy language from your mouth, vulgar, crass, and dirty language from your mouth. These are speech sins, and out of the abundance of the heart, the the mouth speaks. So these expose the sins of our heart. Take off lying, verse 9, take off lying. Do not lie to one another. And that's fam- uh, that doesn't mean, uh, speaking of Christians, don't lie to other Christians. It doesn't mean you could lie to non-Christians, okay? Christians, it's, this is specific to Christians. That's not an excuse to lie to non-Christians. So if you want to think about what to say that's good when you want to guard against speech sins, you can use the acronym THINK, okay? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it informative? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Why should we pursue those things? Why should we take off these speech sins? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language. Why should we take this out? Verse 9, here's the reason why. Do, and, and lying. Why should we take these off? Don't lie to one another. Why? Since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So why should you take these things off? Because you already put off what? You already took off what? Your old self, your old man, the old person, your former pre-Jesus, anti-God self, the old PJ, the old you. When you came to Christ, you decide to take that thing off, take your old self off, to die to your old self. That old self that was alienated and hostile in your minds as, as expressed in your evil actions, chapter 1, verse 21. Now, who put off your old self? Who put off your old self? Yeah, you did, Right? Now, when you don't look at the text and you just, uh, that's, you guys are good Bible readers, but if you're not looking at the text and I say, who put off your old self? Who killed your old self? What's the answer? Jesus did, right? God did. And that's true in, in, um, in chapter, um, how, so yeah, in chapter two, you were circumcised in the circumcision of Christ. When Christ died, you died. Jesus went to the cross, died for sinners. You are united to Christ and Christ killed your old self. Your old self died with Christ. When God judged Christ, he judged you. And God killed Christ and killed you with Christ. But here, interestingly enough, Paul says, you put off your old self. Huh, I did? 
how did I do that? It's almost like the command in the Old Testament, circumcise your hearts. And that's a command to you. You circumcise your heart. How do I circumcise my heart? How do I, how do I put off my old self? Well, you do it by faith in whom? Faith in Christ. Because when you put your faith in Christ, you are united to Christ. Now, God saves you. God grants you repentance and faith. But he does not faith for you. He does not repent for you. He does not believe for you. You must repent. You must believe. And in you doing that, you are uniting yourself to Christ by God's grace, ultimately. And you are putting off the old self by trusting in Christ and repenting from your sins. And because you already did that in the past, stop lying to one another. Stop being angry and wrathful and malicious and slanderous and using filthy language towards one another. Stop being loose with your tongue because you already decided to kill yourself and God killed you, the old you, in Christ. And not only have you put off the old self, you have put on the what? The new self. Now you're, you're pro-Jesus. You're reconciled and happily setting your mind on things above as expressed in your putting off evil actions and putting on godly and holy actions. Now I love this. Look at verse, look at verse um, 10 with me. And you have put on the new self. And I love this next phrase. You are being what? Renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Now does it say you're renewing yourself? No. What does it say? You're being renewed. So who's doing the renewing? God is. Christ is, right? So this is God. Is, and this is good news. You don't have to renew yourself. Now, there are other verses where it talks about renewing your mind, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. But in this passage, the grace of God is showing us that God is the one who ultimately renews you. Now, he does renew you, it says in this verse, in knowledge. So it is through your mind, through you knowing Christ and meditating on Christ and setting your mind on things above and knowing that all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus. But God is the one who's ultimately renewing you. Praise God that he renews us. Your identity is no longer primarily or ultimately, look at verse 10 uh, or 11 now. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. What does that mean? Your primary identity is no longer in your ethnicity or in your status or in your social status or in your religion or in your culture. All that finally matters is Christ. Christ is all that finally matters. I'm not saying those things don't matter at all. They do. But in the final end, ultimately, all that finally matters for your new man, your new person, is your identity in Christ. Christ is all. He is preeminent over all things and before all things. And he is in us and all of his people of various people groups. So what's the point here? The old is obsolete, outdated, and no longer fitting. It's no longer healthy for you. I was trying to think about this idea of obsolescence, it being obsolete. I'm not too much into technology, so I couldn't think of an analogy there. But it would almost be like you trying to build a hospital or a homeless shelter or a law enforcement station and team or building prisons or locks for your doors for your house and your cars and building safes for your money and banks for your money to keep it safe in the new heavens and the new earth. You don't need any of that. No prisons in heaven, right? No prisons on the new earth. No locks. No law enforcement. No homeless shelters. No hospitals. Not on the new earth. Why not? Those things are what? They're gone. They're old. They're obsolete. That, that doesn't belong on the new earth. It's out of there. Like, it, it doesn't fit. 
There is no need for it. In the same way that your old ways of speaking and being sexually active and interactive, that's your old self, that's obsolete, that's gone, that's from the old you. Now you still struggle with it, I'm not saying you don't struggle with it, that's why this command is here. But you need to categorize it as the old you that was dead in Christ. Now the problem is more, so these things are, are useless on the new earth, right? But the problem of obsolescence is more than uselessness. The problem actually even more to a point is it's hazardous for your health, right? It's hazardous for your life and health. So let me give a different analogy here. There's one baby who will re remain nameless, a child, once a child, once a baby, who would sit content in his excrement, in his diaper. Not only that, this baby sitting content in their excrement, in their dirty diaper, would stick their hand in the diaper and then use it to paint the crib and paint walls and paint their face. Love to do it. Use it as face paint. Use the materials for face paint. Continuing as an adult now, as an adult now, continuing content in sin is like sitting hazard, as an adult now, you're sitting hazardously in your own excrement, in diapers, right? And um, it, it's like you insist, yeah, it's like you're, you're, you're continuing content in your sin, sitting in your own excrement and continuing to add to the buildup. It's like you insisting on continuing to wear baby diapers. Now in potty training, our kids, uh, in potty training our kids, the call is to never compromise with excrement, right? That's what we're saying. Never, I'm telling my, my kids now, kids never compromise with excrement in your pants. Zero compromise, zero tolerance, right? Never go back to the season of contentment of having excrement in your pants while they're still on. The call is to regularly use a toilet, make the deposit, flush it, clean yourself, keep clean underwear and clothes on and keep doing this, not just once, not just twice, but as a lifestyle. You must continually do this. We must continually do this. And so it is with putting off sin and putting on the new virtues. Keep on repenting. Keep on confessing sin. Keep on being cleansed in the name of Christ when you confess sin. Have zero compromise in your life. Make zero bits of peace. No peace with sin. No peace with being deceived into seasons of contentment. Stop sitting in your excrement and building it up. You're not a child anymore. That's the old child baby you. All right, so don't just put off these old things, but let's put on unifying habits. And these, all those habits, those speech habits are divisive, right? Anger, wrath, malice, it divides communities. It divides friendships. It divides churches. So we need to put those off along with the sex sins and the speech sins, and we need to put on new habits in this changing of clothes. So we don't just run around naked, we need to put something on, right? So um, verse 12, what do we put on? Therefore, and before we get to what we put on, let's just bask in some of God's gospel grace here. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, these three phrases or descriptions of you are just glorious, right? God chose you. God chose you. And he did not have to choose you. And you did not influence him to choose you. God chose you uninfluenced by anything outside of himself. 
this doctrine and this truth is so it's special to me because I don't know, I don't know if my grandfather, my dad's dad, is, is saved. He was Roman Catholic, so maybe with the Bible there's a chance, but I mean, he died the same day I was born. And the gospel came to our family nine years later. It could have came, I could have been the grandpa who died, right? And it could have came to my, my, my son and my grandson's family generation. Why, why am I in it? Why am I chosen? Because of God's grace. He chose you. He didn't have to choose you. He didn't have to choose us, but he did. You're chosen. Not only are you chosen, you're holy. As you've been putting off the old self, you are set apart. You are united to Christ. You are set apart from sin for Jesus, for God's glory, for his purposes. And next, you are dearly loved. God loves you. And God cannot love you any more than he already loves you. God doesn't half love you or mostly love you. God loves you in such a way that he cannot love you anymore. I love what we were saying in Yet Not I, but Through Christ in Me, when it says, there is no more for heaven now to give. There is no more love that God can give you. He can't, he can't increase it. He can't up his love for you. You are dearly loved. He knows you. He loves you. He delights in you. He enjoys you. Therefore, because you are in Christ and your identity is in Christ, and Christ is all and in all, and because you've put off the old self and put on new self, because you are God's holy ones and chosen ones and loved ones, what should we put on? Look at verse 12. Put on compassion. That means you should have care and concern and empathy and sympathy for one another. Put on kindness. That's a desire and disposition to do good to people. Humility, considering the needs of others as a greater priority and the guiding of your needs. Gentleness, not retaliating or returning offense for offense, but using your power to serve and do good and to be self-controlled. And patience, the King James word for patience is long, long-suffering, being willing to suffer long without giving up or turning on the person, not giving up on the person. So put on these virtues in your interactions with one another. Well, what does that look like in action, PJ? Well, verse 13, Paul gives some actions here, some practices here, specifics. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another. So we should be bearing with each other, um, not giving up. So it's easy to just check out and say, I'm not going to talk to that person anymore. I'm done with that person. That category of relationship in the local church should not exist. It cannot exist. That's not bearing with one another. That's saying, I'm going to disobey this verse and just I'm done with them. But here it says bearing with one another with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Doesn't mean you just tolerate sin, but not just having zero tolerance for their sin, even zero tolerance for your impatience, right? Forgiving them. And why should we forgive them? It says in verse 13. For how should you forgive them? If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive one another. Okay, there's two things I just need to say here briefly. Um, why do we need forgiveness in a local church family? Because we will do what against each other? Sin against each other. And you're like, ah, I haven't had any member sin against me for a long time. You know why? Because you're sinning by not being close enough to other members. If you hang around with other sinners and you get to know them, you will love each other, but you will fail each other. You will. You're gonna have to look someone in the face and say, can you please forgive me for sinning against you in this way? 
You're going to ask God for forgiveness. You're going to look at them and ask them for forgiveness and put yourself under their authority to forgive you of your sins. If you're going to be a church family, you're going to have to do that. Or isolate them so much, which is a sin, so that they don't get close enough to hurt you, to, to have a grievance. This is required in a church family. And then what else do we need to put on? Above all, what do we need to put on from verse 14? Look at verse 14. Put on what? Above all, put on love. love. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is, there's a lot of definitions for love. Let me give you one definition of love. Love is a desire for and delight in the other person's delight in God. So if I'm going to love my dad, if I'm going to love my son, that means that my joy is now going to be my son's joy in God. Because if you love someone, you want them to be happy. And their happiness is only ultimately and finally and most flourishingly fulfilled in God, right? In Christ. And so if I love someone, I want their, I don't want their temporary happiness. I don't want their next five minute happiness. I want their eternal and full happiness. And I, I, I want it so much that my happiness is bound up in their happiness in God. That's love. That my joy is placed in their joy in God. Now, if everyone has that joy in this church, in one another, in God, will we be united? Yes, because we have a center. Where's our joy finally? In whom? In God. And we love each other for that, and that will cause a church in our midst of our disagreements, our sins, our grievances against each other, our differences of opinions on non-sin issues. It will bond us together in unity because we delight in each other's delight in God, in Christ. And that bonds us in unity. That is the key to finding unity in the church. And the breakdown of unity and the pressure of division is the opposite, right? It's finding our joy in the other person's joy in me or in my agenda or in my preference or in my idol or in my will. So I love you by you delighting in what I want to do and in my idol. Well, that's, the, that's what division is, right? Just hold something more important than God, insist on it with someone around you, and you got division. Or unity and idolatry, right? Which is going to eventually lead to division. You can't even do that too long, right? You can, you can unite under idolatry for a little bit, but eventually it's going to break down because selfishness is at, is at its core, so it's going to pull apart. It can't last. You can move from a Christ-centered interaction. You, if you're going in division, you can move from Christ-centered interaction to self-centered or idol-centered interaction. All right, so change your clothes, right? That's the second point. So we've got two so far. Number one, kill Sins, kill, kill the earthly, the things that belong to your earthly nature. Number two, change the old habits, the old divisive habits, the old for, for new unifying habits. Number three, let Christ's initiation work in y'all. And I said y'all, not you, because I'm talking about all y'all, right? Church family, let Christ's initiation work in y'all. And there's two works that Christ is initiating here. In verse 15, it's the work of what? You guys see it? In verse 15, what's the work that Christ is doing there? Peace. What's the work Christ is doing in the next one? Word, okay? So peace and word. Let's think about peace and word. Now when it says let the work, let the peace, let's look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ to which you were called in one body, there's a unity part, right? Let the peace of Christ rule the hearts of all of you as a church, which means personally and then together, right? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So this is not speaking of personal inner peace, Philippians 4, 7, the peace that passes all understanding that's gonna guard your heart and mind when you're in anxieties and worries. Not that peace, 
but the peace ruling your hearts as a church family together as we live in unity and community with each other, union and communion with each other. Now, how did Christ bring this peace? According to Colossians 1.20, it says in Colossians 1, verse 20, and through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile everything to himself. Everything's reconciled to God through Christ by making peace, or making peace, how? By his blood shed on the cross. So Christ made peace and reconciliation through his death for sinners and sins on the cross. And now, that was, that was a long time ago, 33 AD, and now Christ is regularly and constantly applying that peace in the churches, in your relationships, in the tensions between Christians. He wants this peace to rule in your hearts and to rule in your interactions and to rule in the church family and to rule among churches together for the cause of Christ in the world. Christ is the one initiating peace. So when it says peace of Christ, it's the, Christ that pe- that it's the peace that Christ is bringing to us. So let it rule. Allow the peace of Christ to take over. Put down your weapons, stop resisting, and submit your grievances to, to Christ's lordship. I know others have hurt you. I know others will hurt you in this church. And if you're from another church, in your church. But God is not telling you to make up peace and create peace. We already have someone who accomplished that peace. He's telling you to allow that peace to rule. Is that good news? You don't have to create it. You just need to stop. You just need to surrender to it. Allow it. Get out of the way and just let the peace take over this relationship. Okay, not only peace, the second one is word. Look at verse 16. You hear this verse almost every Sunday, right? When I say, and may the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Here's verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you all. Let the word of Christ. Now, what is the word of Christ? Give me a guess. If you were here on Wednesday, don't answer. Because we talked about it on Wednesday. You can't cheat. All right, what is the word of Christ? Somebody, give me an answer. Someone said Jesus. Someone said, were you here on Wednesday? Okay, Bible, good. thought you were cheating. Uh, Jesus, Bible, one more. What's the word of Christ? At least one more. Someone said love, okay. Any other guesses? The, the gospel, okay, the pastor, what's that? Did someone else say gospel? Pastor, okay, good. Pastor Peter answering all the questions here for everybody, thank you. Um, the, word, the word of Christ, is it referring to Christ? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God or is it the scripture? Which is, the, is it the word incarnate, the word in flesh or is it the word written? Or is it the word spoken, the gospel message? Which one do you think it is? How many, okay, everyone vote. Except if you're here on Wednesday. Don't vote if you're here on Wednesday because I already told you my answer. Okay. How many of you think it is Jesus, the word incarnate? Okay. How many of you think it is the word spoken, the gospel message? How many of you think it is the word written? All right. Uh, Some of you put all of them. The right answer, the authoritative word from God. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My guess. <laughs> Sorry. My guess at the answer is um, the word spoken. It's the word spoken. Okay. Um, it's, it's not the word, let the word incarnate of the one incarnate Christ, the word of Christ. That would be a redundancy if you, say, if you think it's the word incarnate, like the word of Christ, because he is the word, right? So it's not that one. Sorry, I was just thinking about if it possibly could be grammatically. Okay, and the other one is um, 
the written word, most of the time, now back then they didn't even have their Bibles yet, right? I mean, not the New Testament, they had the Old Testament. They have the Colossians because they're reading Colossians. But there's the apostolic doctrine that the church was devoted to, the message of Christ. When we say faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ, the word about Christ, we're talking about hearing the word of Christ. It's spoken, okay? And here too, it's not, now it has to be according to the Bible and pointing to Christ ultimately. So if you raise your hand for all three, you're still wrong, but you're sort of right, but you're mostly wrong. Because it's not, it's not primarily referring to all three. It's connected to all three, but it's not primarily all three. It really is the second one, and they are all connected, okay? Because they're all connected, and any of the three are all connected. But here it's referring to the message, which is, which is according to the Bible, in accord with the, the standard of the Bible, but it's, it's pointing to Christ, and Christ is meeting you through that word spoken. But here's the point here. So that's what it is. It's a message, but I want to go one step deeper. Just like the peace of Christ is Christ making peace, the word of Christ here is Christ, not only the message about Christ, but Christ speaking the word. Christ is the one who speaks the word of Christ to you. And that word is to dwell in you richly. Now, this word may come through the Apostle Paul. That's why Paul says in the beginning, he has to give his credentials. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. So whatever I'm saying, I'm saying as an apostle of Christ Jesus. So my words are under the authority of Christ. So Christ is speaking through me. In, in Colossians 1.7, how did they learn the gospel? Colossians 1.7, they learned it by, who was their church planner here? What was his name? Does anyone remember? It's okay. Epaphras, right? They learned it, Colossians 1.7, you learned this gospel through Epaphras. Christ spoke to them through Epaphras. But ultimately, or Colossians 3.16, we speak to one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we will speak to each other, and God uses people, but ultimately, behind all of this word is Christ Jesus who is speaking the word to us. And that word is to dwell richly among us. And that's why I love what we just sang in uh, See What a Morning. I love this line. It's in the second verse or the third paragraph here in the way that this is broken up. It says, um, so, so God call, or Jesus calls to Mary weeping and then says, the voice, the voice that spoke to, Jesus, to Mary is the voice that what? The voice that spans the years, past and future, even to, even to 2022. That voice that called Mary is the voice speaking to you today through the preaching of the gospel. That voice spans the years from 33 AD all the way to 2022. And here is Christ, that voice spanning the years, speaking life, stirring hope, and bringing peace to us. Christ still speaks today through his people, according to scripture, the message of Christ. So brothers and sisters, let it, let it dwell. Let, let, him, let him have his reign. Let him rule. Let him speak into your life. Let him speak into our life and let that word stay amongst us. He already wrote it in our hearts when you were converted. That's the new covenant promise. Let it stay and let it rule and reign in our communal life together. And how do you let it rule and reign? Look at verse 16 again. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. So that's Jesus speaking to you. But then you have a responsibility now that's speaking to you. What? In all wisdom, what should you be doing? Teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God, make with gratitude in your heart. So we should be speaking the one, to, like let Christ speak to us. And when Jesus speaks to me, what, am I, what do I want to do? In all wisdom, I want to teach. I want to warn. I want to admonish. I want to encourage in all wisdom. So I want to do it wisely. I want to make sure it fits the moment. 
I want it to be musical. There should be a, a joy to it. There's, it's singing, worshipfully. It's to God. So there should be a sense of God, even as, not, even as you're speaking to one another, sharing your takeaways. You should be doing it with a sense to God and doing it thankfully from the heart. So if you wonder why we sing a lot of songs on Sunday, at least here's some biblical justification, okay? But isn't it good news? Isn't it wonderful that we don't have to generate, not only we don't have to generate peace, we don't have to be the first speaker. Jesus is already the one speaking. We just repeat him and relay him to others with our words. I love that as a pastor. Like, I love that today. Like, I was encouraged this morning. Lord, I don't ultimately have to be the one speaking. I can't be the ultimate one speaking. You're speaking before me. You're going to be speaking through me. You'll speak after me. You're going to speak to them through one another when they share takeaways. That's freeing as a preacher to know that ultimately it's Christ who speaks through me and through us. That's good news. So let the channels of grace come in. Stop blocking the grace that's flowing to you. As a kid, we have a gutter. We had a sewer next to our house, and we had a gutter, and we used to play these games of putting all, as many rocks as we can to, to block the gutter when there's water coming down and see. And it would always amaze me how we could actually stop the water. I was like, how is this water tight? Because it's just a bunch of, like, rocks and dirt, and then eventually you get to a point where you could actually block the water from going down the gutter into the sewer. We, we would block it and stop it from flowing. And when Christ's peace is coming to you and the word is flowing to you, Oftentimes we block it. This, the command here is to stop blocking it. Why do we insist on building our own well when there's a fountain of living waters available to us? Why not just turn on the water dispenser? There's already running water. Why not just have it? Jesus, it's there for you. It's coming to you. Just drink. You don't have to find your own water. All right, so let, one way that could apply to you is let other people gospelize you in this church. Let other people tell you about the goodness of God in Christ. On Sundays, in conversation, in person, in communication, let people pray with you and sing to you and preach to you. Children, kids listen up, Jubilee, listen up, Jubilee. Let the word of Christ come to you, kids. You didn't choose to be born into a Christian home, but guess what? God wanted you to be born there so that the word would keep coming to you. In your family chapel times, when your parents talk to you, Christ is talking to you. In his grace, Jesus is bringing his word to you through your parents and through you sitting in church gatherings and classes. All right, let's, get, let's go on to this last one. So if we're going to live in gratitude, we even talk about gratitude. We're finally here, okay? If you're going to live in gratitude, um, in constant gratitude, specifically a full life in Christ, you need to be killing anti-God anti hostile actions. You need to be changing your divisive habits for unifying habits. Uh, we need to be regularly letting Christ work in us, allowing Christ to work in us. And lastly, thank God through Christ always. Okay, so here we get to the end. And this is the, this is the main point. But, but if we're going to live a regular, full life in Christ, practically and specifically, we, does it get more practical and every moment than this? What does verse 17 say? Do, do what? Do everything? Do or in whatever you do. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do what? Everything in the name of Jesus Christ, in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus. There it is. In whatever you do, in word or in deed, and that's all you're doing. You're speaking or you're doing things. This is practical. You want to live the full life in Christ? You don't need heavenly visions. You just, in whatever you do, when you speak, you give up the speech sins. Whatever you do, acting, if it's a marriage bed or if it's sexual uh, desires and even preparing for that and going in that direction. Whatever you do in word or deed, 
do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Word here contrasts with speech sins, deeds contrasts with sex sins, but it's broader than that. Remember Colossians 1.10? We want to, uh, the prayer is, uh, we, we are asking God that he may fill your mind with all wisdom or fill, fill your mind with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom so that you may walk worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. In all respects. How do you please Christ in all respects? Do everything in his name. Do everything in his name. This is the culminating way of setting your mind on things above. Now this flows from and grows, this, this doing things in his name, it grows through killing sin and through God's word abiding in you. Even Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, it'll be done for you. Okay, but how do we, that, that's not, okay, do it in the name. What does that mean? Do I just say, in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna preach. In the name of Jesus, I'm gonna go to this webpage. In the name of Jesus, I'm gonna open this new tab. In the name of Jesus, I'm gonna check my phone again. I mean, what, what does it mean to do everything in the name of Jesus, practically? It's verse 17, the rest of verse 17. Here's at least one concrete way to do it. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How? By what? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now some take this as when, when giving thanks or the result is giving thanks. I think it means that this is how you do it. This is the means, the way you do it. This command means that you give thanks to God in everything. Now notice that Thanksgiving, this is not the first time Thanksgiving is mentioned in this passage. This is the what time? How many times has it been mentioned? That's a good guess. Second, any other guesses? Third time in three verses. Well, how does verse 15 end? And be thankful. What about when you're singing and letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly? With gratitude. And now, everything. Do it with thanksgiving. And this is why I think it is the culmination. It's repeated. It's this underlying command. But as he's culminating to this last command, it's all-encompassing to your whole life. In everything you do, Give thanks to God, if you're going to do it in Christ's name, to God through whom? Through the Son. Give, give thanks to the Father through the Son. That's how you live this out. This is the culminating command here. Everything you do. Um, and what, so, so this means, if you're, gonna, if you're tempted to look at pornography, very practically, this is what it would mean. Look at pornography in the name of Jesus Christ. Can you do it, right? I'm like, Lord, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to thank you. I'm going to thank you, Father, in the name of the Son for doing this. And then you do it. You're going to be torn, right? You're going to, you're going to, you have to block that out to do it, right? You can't do it in all sincerity and, and worship and do it. Like, it blocks you if you're going to say, God, this next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to give thanks to you. I'm thanking you for this next thing in the name of the Son. Now, does this mean we should never be lamenting or broken? And what if we're not thankful? Just a quick word there. If you're in a broken situation and we all get in those, lament, there is a place for lament. But what is Lament. Lament is honest confession and open communication to God about our pain and our lack of gratitude in the brokenness of the world. And, but, but why is lament still godly, even though if it's not grateful? Because in your lament, you long for and you're seeking to find rest in the goodness of God. And you trust that it's there even though you don't feel it. So there's a place for lament. I just want to say that I'm emphasizing gratitude here, but there's a place for lament. But it is a lack of gratitude in that moment. But if you just got to be honest about it. Don't pretend. Just take that to the Lord. That's what lament is. Okay, but now, now back to giving thanks. What I'm saying very practically, give thanks to the Father through Christ in everything you do. And that will express your, your desire for God and it will move your mind more to things above. It will express your pursuit of Christ and it'll move you more to Christ. And that's how you continue in Christ. It even says in Colossians 2.8, continuing in Christ is overflowing with gratitude. That's how you guard yourself from vain philosophies. That's how you respond to Christ being proclaimed to you. 
I'm just going over Colossians now. This is really the key to Colossians application. This is how you remain grounded and steadfast in Christ. This is how you walk worthy of the Lord. This is how your gratitude grows. This is how you grow in Christ, by giving thanks to the Father through him. So the full life, the life fulfilled and growing in joy and power is the life that moves toward and overflows with gratitude to the Father through the preeminent and heavenly Son. I'm going to give you several examples now of what I thank to God for this week, just to spark and stimulate for you some things you might be thankful for. I give thanks to the Father through the Son for driving in a 100-degree temperature uh, with a shirt and tie in my car after the funeral on the way to the burial with no AC. And I'm like, Lord, I'm memorizing this. Thank you, Father, that I have no AC and I'm driving in your name. Thank you, Father, through Christ for driving in 100 degree weather on Friday with no AC to, to be with my fellow church members. Thank you, Father, through the sun for my computer glitching and almost crashing yesterday. Thank you, Father, through the Son, for the weekenders who are here to share life and share Jesus with us. Thank you, Father, through the Son, for the many membership interviews that were added to an already overcrowded weekender and funeral schedule week of ministry. Thank you, Father, through the Son, for temptations to sin and for opportunities to trust in you and grow in you through the temptation and even confess my sins and lean on others to grow in Christ through prayer and support. Thank you, Father, through the Son, for humbling me in asking for forgiveness this week when I sinned against a brother for not keeping my word and missing an appointment and for that brother forgiving me and for Christ forgiving me. And that, that wasn't done in private because that person had other people call me. And so five other members were calling me about the appointment that I missed. And so now I'm embarrassed, not just in front of one person that I sinned against, but the other people. And thank you, Father, through the Son, for these trials, for this situation. You are so good to me. And when you start thanking the Father, through the Son, for everything, you enjoy the fullness of life in Christ. So, brothers and sisters, thank the Father through the Son for your burdens. Thank the Father through, your son, through the Son for your tasks, your pressures, your responsibilities, your trials, your difficulties. And if you can't thank God for it, then go back to Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and set your mind on things above. Cast your anxieties on God with thanksgiving, and the peace of Christ might move to you to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus is moving you towards unity and love and self-control and doing all in the name of Christ. And he's leading, to, he's leading, and all of this leads to your growing in knowing and enjoying Christ more. So, to close, we've learned that we have to get, that we have and get to live in the fullness of being united to Christ. And we learned how to do it specifically. My single answer is, live in constant gratitude through Christ. But the more expanded answer is, kill anti-God hostile action, change divisive habits for unifying habits, your speech habits and your affection for others. Let the work that Christ is already doing and initiating, let his peace and word have its way in you and pulling it all together. Thank God through Christ always and in all things. It doesn't get more practical than that. Live in constant gratitude through Christ Jesus so that you continue to walk in Christ Jesus all the way to the end. Let's pray. I'll give you a moment to pray and then I'll lead us.
Father, we pray giving thanks to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to now share takeaways with each other and sing to you. And we thank you that we get to do that. We thank you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for calling us away from sexual sins and speech sins, divisive sins. We thank you for calling us to put on unifying habits and love and forgiveness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're working and you're always working. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.